Hey, it's Adam here, and I want to tell you where you can get more free sex and how you can support the podcast. I'm building a kind of hub for the project on Substack. It's just freesex.substack.com. I'm publishing transcripts for all episodes there for free and occasional writings about free sex for subscribers only. Plus, you can interact with me and stuff like that. To make this podcast, I'm relying on contributions from listeners. My indie podcast company, Artnell, has invested in getting it going, and I'm paying my guests. But the only way I can fund it from now is with support from people like you, who subscribe at freesex.substack.com. Or you can just continue listening to the podcast for free and using the transcripts on the Substack if you need them. Thanks for joining me as we edge ever closer to a world of free sex. What does free sex mean to you? Do you ever think you'd have more sex or better sex if only you could change one thing? What is that thing? I'm Adam Smith, a writer, podcast producer, walker, talker, thinker, wanker. (laughs) I started having sex at 29. 29! And I've been obsessed ever since. Now I'm on a mission to find out how, as a society, we hold each other back in sex. What could a world of free sex look like? For me, free sex is a world with more places to fuck and without sexually transmitted infections. How about you? What are you into? Every episode, I speak to a different human with a unique idea for what free sex could mean. This podcast is fully pansexual and gender fluid. From mild to wild, everyone is welcome. Let's go. Isn't pleasure a part of good sexual health? My guest in this episode is Dr. Joseph Shaw. Joe works in a hospital in London, practicing sexual health, HIV, and general internal medicine. He's used to seeing patients with genital symptoms, giving them treatment, and then sending them home. But there is so much that's missing from this medicalized approach to sexual health. So Joe tells me his big idea for holistic services around sex that include fighting infections, of course, but also therapy, conversations about relationships, and even more support around pleasure. There are chronic funding shortfalls and political fights over sexual health. All the more reason to reimagine how we do it, no? The doctor is now ready for us. Joe, welcome to Free Sex. Hey, (laughs) thanks. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. What would a world of free sex look like to you? Well, Adam, um, I think a world in which people have accessible and useful sex and relationship education and therefore a deeper understanding of sex, their bodies and relationships. Mm. And then one pillar that might support and maintain that world would be more holistic and expansive sexual health services. 
Okay, wow. So you've been thinking about this. A lot of words for you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so a world with this better understanding of sex and relationships and our bodies, and that world is supported in part by basically better sexual health services. Yeah. And that is something that I want to like really, really get into with you because you've worked in sexual health services as a doctor. So I feel like... I need to understand what that is actually like. <laughs> yeah. um, I've uh, I've seen it from I've, I've I'm a patient of sexual health services, but can you walk me through your what your daily life was like when you were working in a sexual health clinic? Like, what are you seeing? What are you experiencing? What is that day? And what time did you start? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I can only speak about my own experiences. So mm-hmm. I think different clinics run different mm-hmm. hours, but Typically, it's going to be nine to five, and then you do like one day a week. Mm-hmm. You might do your evening clinic, which is going to be like five to eight thirty. Um, usually, start with a little team meeting where you talk about the stock issues in the pharmacy. Um, maybe we've run out of doxycycline, or we've run out of a particular contraceptive pill, and then we know that we can't give them that day, or we have to like send them to another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, we've just been weathering COVID and monkeypox, so mm-hmm. it's quite a flood fluctuant world in terms of um you know personal protective equipment that you might be wearing depending on like what symptoms people are coming in with and whether or not we're doing like telephone triage like people calling in or Mm walk-ins typically in the uk used to have walk-in sexual health services like everywhere and most places now are booked only appointments i'm not sure of that many clinics that are doing walk-in at the moment or just in a really restricted way so a real change in how they run and now yeah so after you've had your kind of morning meeting you just usually do um, a clinic and you might yeah you usually be seeing people with symptoms of a possible STI um, that's the kind of standard face-to-face clinic mm-hmm. and we would you'd see um, people of all genders and coming in with issues relating to usually a genital area or an anal area typically mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you would then with each patient take your history do your examination, do some investigations and then offer them treatment on the same day. And as part of that treatment, there's a lot of education um, around what you think is going on and then maybe plan for their follow up or get them to see a, um, a colleague um, for the treatment, whether it's a nurse giving an injection of an antibiotic or um, a health advisor who's a member of the team who's more focused on like education and um, making sure people have kind of understanding to navigate the sex that they want to have. Um, but you've done your bit as the doctor in terms of prescribing medication and doing the examination of intimate areas. Um, Is there quite a bit of division then between uh, the work that uh, a nurse does or another special uh, another different type of medic versus a doctor like is the clinics kind of divided between no, that yeah I think historically possibly more so definitely less so now like you've got people called nurse practitioners who are more senior nurses who can prescribe certain medications usually it's a bit more restricted and so if there's a more medically complicated case they might just want to get a second opinion but again similarly you might have a really experienced nurse practitioner who's been working in the department for 20 years versus a brand new doctor who's never worked in sexual health and has been working in another specialty so I think now it's pretty sort of non-hierarchical and then you'll have one like senior consultant or senior specialty specialty doctor who will be available for advice um, on the more complex stuff that everyone goes to and that will be their kind of 
job for the three hour, four hour clinic that they're the kind of available person for issues. Yeah. What kinds of, what are the most common symptoms or infections that you would see in an average day or week then? The things that come up time and time again? Um, I mean, kind of, if you, so yeah, typical like presenting issues are going to be like if you're a male bodied person with a penis, it's going to be um, difficulty, I mean, discomfort when you're passing urine or burning pain and then discharge from the end of the penis Mm -hmm. and um in like female bodied people it'll be usually discharge abnormal discharge pain or rashes in the genital anal genital region or um lumps and bumps like genital warts or lymph nodes that have come up um those i'd say are the typical ones as in yeah and then within that you'd kind of empirically treat meaning you'd give treatment based on the symptoms even if you haven't got the results on the day sometimes mm-hmm. or you might be able to nail the diagnosis on that day depending on like microscopy so looking at a sample under a microscope and seeing something that looks very suspiciously like gonorrhea and then you would just treat that but if you didn't see that thing that might look a little bit like gonorrhea you treat for another condition mm-hmm. um, and then in some cases you'll just be doing a full check with lots of sort of molecular tests that you don't have the results for on the day so you've got to just say we've done our screen we're actually not going to give you treatment today and wait for the results and come back and get that issue treated at that point but most of the time in a sti clinic you'd get all the treatment on the day and you may not have to come back and that's kind of a one-stop shop like goal of the sti gum service Mm. um as compared to yeah lots of other places where they wouldn't have an in-house little pharmacy in order to give just like free medication then and there you don't even have to pay for like however much money you'd pay normally for a prescription um yeah do you um whenever i go to the clinic or actually any kind of nhs service i always feel like not even if they're making me feel like this but i always feel like well i've got to i've got to get in and out got to be quick like um, because I know that there's like a massive line of other people mm. <laughs> behind me. I'm curious what your experience as the doctor is there, because you've got a certain number of people that you've got to see, um, you know, who are who are in the on the waiting list or whatever. Like, does it? Do you feel like you have enough time to see everyone? Um, and those kinds of things. Um, I think it varies. You definitely, yeah. as in. If someone comes in with a really specific issue and you're able to give a really comprehensive like assessment of that issue and, you know, and you can give them the treatment and it all ticks boxes lovely and it's like a textbook situation, um, then it's fine. But actually more and more you're getting more complicated people. Often where I work, it's people who don't speak any English. So you always have to use translation services, which involve calling out to an external organization, them calling you back. That just, you know, it just adds minutes to your day. And then the other bits that you should be doing, you try and compress and that adds a little bit of stress into your life. And or there might be people with learning disabilities or somebody might then disclose that they've been a victim of sexual assault and then that needs a little bit more time to um, like to go through and sort of acknowledge and refer if necessary to mental health issues or you know making sure that you're doing everything that that person needs but um yeah and I think especially post-covid when we were trying to do more stuff on the phones that those people who actually made it through the phone triage and had complicated issues were really really complicated Mm -hmm. and definitely you couldn't really do um, everything you needed to do in the allotted time. But we're a little bit more um, 
it depends where you work again, but, you know, compared to sort of a 10 minute consultation with a GP in a sexual health clinic, you often have 30 or 40 minutes with a patient. And then, but within that time, you've got to have your conversation, take your history, do your whole examination, which involves somebody getting undressed and like mm. in an, and being exposed in a, in their genital region. So, mm. and again, just even that process. You can't rush it. You can't rush it, exactly. <laughs> and you can't like, yeah, I think, um, that can be incredibly uncomfortable for some people, especially if you're going to then do a speculum and an internal examination on someone who's already got some discomfort. Um, it's like you, you really can't rush that section. And then and then you might end up having less time to do the education. But you're like your agenda as, the, as a health practitioner might be like, I need to tell you this X, Y, Z. I've got to tick it off. Um, <laughs> but that might not be the part that the patient necessarily wants to kind of spend the time focusing on. So there's always this like, yeah, kind of jostling of like, who wants to speak (laughs) (laughs) and there's so much to do I hadn't really thought about it especially because I go in with my particular kind of body and there are other different types of bodies Mm. I've gone in with you know the same one to three infections time and time again but there are other infections which I don't get or I'm not prone to which affect other people I don't generally have to think about contraception Mm. (laughs) like other people do have to think about contraception uh, and that's yeah. quite a confusing world like as in there's loads of there's not loads of different options that's like quite limited but if you are wanting like whenever a female person comes into the clinic we would we should really be spending time also being available to discuss contraceptive options it depends what service you work in some are really separate but i work in a place that does full comprehensive like um, integrated sexual health with reproductive health. So we would also maybe, like you were asking about my weekday, it might be that you just spend an afternoon putting implants in or doing Mm. coils um, or just spending time doing a phone kind of session where you're just calling or having calls from women wanting to discuss contraception and then like discuss the option. So what are the pros and cons of a coil? What are the pros and cons of the mini, I mean, the progesterone-only pill, for example? Yeah. but that's like a whole thing in and of itself. So if you're trying to just chuck that in yeah. <laughs> with something else, like you can get some really complex scenarios where someone doesn't speak English, they've been a victim of sexual assault, they also have been working in sex work and they need con- they need contraception, they need STI treatment and they've never heard of PrEP. And you might want to have to tell them all of that in one setting. God, that is a lot. <laughs> and you're it? like, I've got to give you everything. Um, but is, is the is this system like set up well enough at the minute or your particular hospital or clinic where you've worked in sexual health, like set up to kind of like cover and capture all of these things. Cause it sounds like there's a lot. Um, I don't know. I mean, so definitely kind of across the country, um, like everything with the NHS, I think it's really difficult to get sexual health appointments or can be. And I definitely have been informed of that from friends. Like they can never get appointments and the system of of losing the walk-in is a real loss in some ways because... I mean, in in lots of ways, I think. I'm, I'm like sad to see it gone. But then at the same time, so sexual health services are really undercut themselves i have really limited staff numbers often understaffed um and therefore they can't offer the same number of slots that would be available so Mm. even the you know the time per patient is one thing but just the number Mm. of people needing appointments in like a in a population that's growing and with limited access to say gps and you know ultimately the the content can often be done in GP surgeries like discussions on contraception that doesn't have to be done in a sexual health center 
but it lends itself quite nicely. And if you're kind of an expert in the field or someone who's a little bit maybe, you know, has tried a few options and the GP wants them to come to us, then that's definitely appropriate. But also they should just be able to come there out of choice. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I don't think they're not, you know, they're not perfect. And definitely people who need treatment or need emergency, what we'd call emergency situations like contracept like the morning after pill or the morning after coil well, I mean you wouldn't call it that but the emergency contraceptive coil these things have like time limitations on when they are effective and safe to give mm-hmm. same with if somebody needs PEP post-exposure prophylaxis you know in, in across the world that's not available one and we in the UK you can get it in A&E and have been able to get it in A&E outside of kind of nine to five clinic hours but um that's also not available all over the world and then i mean if if yeah people are struggling to get appointments for for pep Mm. currently i think as well so it is not really super functional and definitely has scope for improvement as a system definitely many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The way of talking about this is something specific to the free sex podcast in the sense that I want to say that yes, in the UK, we have certain privileges and freedoms to do with our, to do with the sex that we want um, and the sexual health services that we might be able to get compared to other countries. But the point of the free sex podcast is to go even further. It's to imagine whether it's for the UK or Uganda or anywhere it's to imagine, okay, what as a world do we need to get like, to get everything up to the the standard and every country will fall mm. like below this like ideal standard that's the point of this of this kind of project that I'm doing right is to collect views on like well how do we get the gold standard the absolute best and it's we're never going to get there because that's the nature of it but um and so so therefore I'm thinking now like kind of like pivoting towards okay like so how do we um acknowledge the 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 um the ways that the system is is not working that well at the minute like for example you've said not being able to get walk-in appointments is something that you like regret that we don't have that at the minute in the UK um and then going so you know is that reinstating that and then going even further Mm. so like this like um and obviously you're not in charge of sexual health in the NHS in total. I don't know if you want that job, by the way. <laughs> but if you did have that job, like, where are we going? What are we doing? What are we reinstating? Because the thing you said at the beginning of, like, this, like, broader expansive view of, like, sex and relationships, the pleasure that's possible in our bodies and reframing sexual health services, mm. yes, to still only be one pillar of that, but even in that single pillar to be quite expansive. And the things that you've touched on already are, like, giving us a steer into that direction like you talked about talking about relationship types and also talking about sexual abuse if that's a part of a person's history and Mm. these things as well so um yeah 
So where, so yeah, where, what are the, some of the things that are going to help us to build that pillar yeah. that you're talking well, about? I guess like what we've really been speaking about is just what I've like a described a kind of clinic type setup and yeah. how, <clears throat> you know, I, in an ideal world, if we didn't have any constraints, like we would not necessarily, we probably not even really need sexual health mm. clinics in that we would maybe be able to avoid the risk of any infections and have any risk of pregnancy if we don't want to have pregnancy or, um, and fertility if we wanted to be fertile and that kind of element of control in a mind, in a thought experiment would be amazing. Um, there's probably some limitations on that. There's always going to be infections and I don't think we're going to be able to switch on fertility, um, that easily but that would be great um and so i think as part of that like an ultimate goal would be to kind of demedicalize sex for people because the way that the clinics are set up right now are pretty much to diagnose and treat genital symptoms that are likely from infections that people have got from sex mm. or um yeah to provide contraception and prevent unwanted pregnancies they're the kind of two main focuses of yeah. the clinics, yeah. not really to explore people's thoughts on sex mm. and what they like doing and pleasure. Um, and so I think it's quite reductive and it definitely reinforces like a medicalized view of sex. And, and it's a way that people's own stigma and fear around sex can be manifested mm. um, and but at the same time, it, uh, currently it is a reality of, of sex. There's like some risks in sex and those are some really key ones. And there are a place of pen, potentially a place of like hope in that you're addressing some of these risks and you're addressing them in a place that can be free, potentially free of like judgment in a way that you would be worried you might be received by, by seeking healthcare, speaking to a doctor, um, kind of worried that you've been risky or you may have been unfaithful outside of a context of like a monogamous relationship. And that's, you know, you're really holding a lot of shame around some behavior that you've done. Mm. And our place is not to really give that any more power mm. and to just address your reduced symptoms. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess so. that's the state of play right now is mm. that it is very much about the physical symptoms usually and um, just to pause you there that's really interesting that you say that because it's it's so obvious when you say it like that but it's one of those things that's like so obvious such a self-evident truth that like it's not even evident unless you think about it and that's what we're just doing now because you're like actually zooming out and saying hang on a minute this is what the service is set up for right now mm. and I'm like oh my god of course it is that is what's happening and that just recognizing that makes you realize there's actually so much more that it could be because mm. you hadn't really thought of like what it was doing at the minute. Mm. Um, and that's a really, that's a great benefit that you're bringing to this conversation. Actually, I would say by like just zooming out and saying, what is this happening? What is going on right now? So therefore where if we, if we zoom out and we can look around, then, then that implies that there are other ways that we can do things. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I again, I, as like, I'm saying that this would be great if we had unlimited resources in yeah. order to do this, because also the reason why you can't get access to STI or sexual health services is because of funding yeah. and the allocation of funding for sexual health services moving to um, local authorities from NHS pots and cuts over the last 13 years of conservative governments, mm -hmm. meaning that, yeah, 
the, the scope of the sexual health services aren't necessarily expanding. Mm-hmm. Um, they're shrinking. And actually across the UK, lots of counties, you know, it's variable, like the po- sort of a postcode lottery and what form of sexual health provision you'll have in your region, whether you'll actually have an NHS provider or you'll have it outsourced to a, um, a private company in some regions or charities like Brooke in other regions. Um, but then they're really set up maybe for contraception over sexual, over kind of STI care. And again, it's really specific in their scope. Um, and when it, when it maybe represents a really kind of more holistic opportunity to address people's yeah, education around their bodies and sex and um, relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, in my view, would be a really cool thing <laughs> for the clinics to evolve into and I think in some areas it does and you have you know other people within the team like psychosexual counsellors and therapists and people with a psychology background who can help people with sort of um, compulsive sexual behaviour or sex addictions and things like that and that, that obviously links so closely with people who then have high risks of getting STIs and having those genital symptoms that they originally came for. Um, Do you know how common it is for a sexual health service at the minute to have those psychosexual counsellors or psychologists on staff? I Like, just generally? I don't, I can't, I really don't know, actually, but I think it's super variable, though. Yeah. I think it's probably at its best in London Mm. because it gets the most money and um, local authorities kind of recognise its importance in some ways. Um, But, yeah, so I couldn't really say, sorry. But that postcode lottery thing is really... The more that you think about it, it's really quite distressing, like Mm. about how, because I even know that the level of care that I can get in London is different from other places and also the the style of it, Mm. you know, even within London, actually, because I go to, I've gone to like two clinics that are explicitly LGBTQI inclusive and I know that they're going to talk to me about the sex that I have as a queer man Mm. in like you know in a way that other clinics just wouldn't and um probably here but certainly in in America I've had treatment where which was like not inclusive like and it was Mm. I had like a bad experience and stuff Mm. and so um and I'm sure that that's happening across the UK just because it's quite variable and there's not yeah. the population density to have or, or to seem to justify L, like specific LGBTQ plus like inclusive sex, mm. sexual health that, services. I mean, a hundred percent that it's, it's like inequitable across yeah. the UK and in different pockets, you're going to get, yeah. Services that kind of are more geared towards an LGBT population yeah. and therefore kind of are yeah better at, managing those people but then at the same time there's going to be people who are lgbtq and live in other parts of the the country and you know there's kind of young people discovering who they are all Mm. over the country and so it definitely is unfair that you can get these places that just don't know what Mm. that aren't best placed or or not even available like Mm. definitely there's there's counties that it's completely defunded Mm. (laughs) and so it would be it would therefore fall to places like GPs who have got loads of stuff going on at the moment, and you know another thing to add to their plate. So it's not to say that GPs aren't maybe an appropriate site for that. They're family doctors. They should be having like, you know, it should be holistic. They should be able to manage a little bit of everything. 
But it's just, you know, if you have a really functioning, well-run, dedicated service for mm. this remit, then we could en- we could enhance that. You could give them more scope and more responsibility mm. and mm. it could be kind of reinforced. They could be well-staffed and then, yeah. <laughs> you know, it could be a lot better. Um, what yeah. would be the other things that you personally would be interested in including in your uh, appointments with, people or your time with patients including like over a period of time whether it's a thing that you are trained in already or know about already or, or it's something that you would even get more training for yeah you know personally so that you could like build that into your practice with patients over a long time if you had if we had this slightly different setup well I mean I am really interested in in like sex and relationship counseling okay. and also in sort of identity and gender and I'm like not that afraid of having these conversations with people around mm-hmm. sexuality mm-hmm. you know often you'll come I'll come across so many people who um are having sex with people of the same of the same gender mm-hmm. um but wouldn't necessarily identify as under the spectrum of LGBTQ Um, but they definitely are having sex with people of the gender that would put them at an increased risk of having infections and then it's at that point that you just need to ask oh do you ever if this was a male-bodied person oh do you ever have sex with men and then in a non-judgmental way and then the number of people who've just oh yeah sometimes last time I did it you know no condoms two weeks ago yada 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 Mm -hmm. and if you but th- then at the end of the conversation, they're like, oh, I've never told anyone about that. Please don't tell anyone else. But you've had the opportunity to respond in a non-judgmental way. Mm-hmm. That just kind of plants a seed like that. Okay, maybe in the future I'll be able to tell more people about this. I'll live in an open way. Mm-hmm. And they've also now been informed of their risks and ways that they can reduce their risks. Mm-hmm. Things like having vaccinations against hepatitis B or HPV and having PrEP or PEP if they need it in a way that they wouldn't have been targeted and they wouldn't have been getting that level of targeted mm. sort of prevention education um because they're not yeah identifying with mm. sort of advertisements at the lgbt population if you want yeah. um so those experiences have made me kind of have encouraged me and i know how powerful small conversations around personal issues with a non-judgmental person mm-hmm. can like how powerful and important that really is mm-hmm. um, and often people don't have those conversations with friends and family because they're too scared of the consequences but being a health pr- provider healthcare professional it, people f- can feel a little bit more relaxed in in some ways or it's a, sort of supposed to be a kind of yeah a well-informed um, a safe space, I guess, or you'd hope. Um, I think some people can be really fearful as well of healthcare mm. providers, but in a sexual health context, usually they know that they can talk about sex at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, those experiences have made me really have kind of shown how powerful and important they can be. And I would like to see more of that really. Mm. And so people who, even if it's unrelated to their sexual identity and their sexual practice, just talking about their... Um, understanding of sex and their relationships like uh, yeah sex and relationship therapy um and i know that in certain services as well you can get you can have things like sexual well-being clinics where mm. male-bodied people it might be talking about erectile issues or ejaculatory issues and then exploring within that sort of techniques practical tips as well as getting kind of to the the psychological basis of some of their issues mm. as well as the the physical basis of some of their issues if there's like and there usually is a bit of an element of both um, and how much in that more expansive and holistic view of sexual health services if we were to imagine that 
world where you have even longer to work with a patient on something or you can bring in a team of other experts that can support you in working with that patient. How much of that expansive holistic approach do you think would include pleasure and talking about pleasure? Um, is Would that be a responsibility within that expansive yeah, I mean, service? Yeah, uh, 100%. Or, I mean, that would be a good place for that to go. Mm-hmm. I think right now, what I was talking about with current setups is, again, people who have issues with their sex. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's always like reactionary to someone coming in with an issue. Like, I have mm-hmm. pain when I have sex. What do I do about it? Not allowing... Just people to kind of enhance something that's already okay, maybe, Mm. but they just want to get the best out of it or they're in a relationship that's satisfying in some ways, but actually there's an element that's not like they don't really love as much and how can we help them Mm. make it better? But again, even as I'm saying that, that sounds like I'm trying to fix or improve something. I think it's just, yeah, I guess we're not really taught that relationships and sex should be something that needs prioritization or work Mm. on it it's just a natural component of life Mm. like you're born you know you're not kind of you don't go to school and have lessons and like this is the best way to do this like no really the sexual relationship education is tiny Mm. when actually it has the potential to be huge and (laughs) it could be great you know it's freely available part of your biology and Mm. and why not kind of enhance it slash just understand it to the point where you want to like where you get the most out of your own body on the time that you have available on earth in a completely free way well i wonder whether one of the things that stops us having those kinds of expansive conversations or even just personally reflect internal reflections on these things is because we're all so fucking busy mm. does that come up <laughs> in your practice like yeah you know people just because they're so busy that they can't even engage with the even the level of service that you're able to provide at the moment mm. properly. I mean, I think, I don't know if it's like necessarily, yeah, I think in a way people are so busy and like minds and thoughts are so busy and the scheduling and the living in the future, you know, all of that definitely contributes to your inability to like stay embodied and enjoy sexual experiences, let alone think about them and how and I just think we don't prioritize this component of our lives in a way that we prioritize other things Mm. and that's probably from a kind of socialized perspective or like what's considered important Mm. rather than if you were to just kind of cut away what society is and allow your body to like assert some needs it would often be around breathing and food but I'm pretty sure sex would be up there Mm. and people who probably have more sex or, you know, like you, everyone's going to have their own real drive. If you took away n- like negative influences onto someone's sex drive, like shame or stigma mm. or pain, mm. um, you know, there's still going to be a range of what's like what's normal for some person or what's what they really want to be having in terms of the amount of time that they want that kind of pleasurable sensation. Mm. But, uh, you know, like as in, I think a lot of people, I don't, even just the concept of like, oh, how much pleasure can I introduce into my life? I think lots of people wouldn't equate sex with pleasure even Mm. (laughs) it's it's complicated for people but it's usually complicated for the sort of thoughts it brings up and you know often like body image issues like things that you weren't thinking about or wanting to even address and then you set up Mm. this whole 
negative cycle and you end up avoiding sex or things that are kind of sexually related because it makes you uncomfortable and makes you actually think about something negative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it's the th- kind of thing that the more you think about it, the more you realize how central it is to our experience of our bodies and the world mm-hmm. and also how many things stand in the way of us having that experience of our bodies in the world, whether it's work or body image issues because of the billboards or mm. um or and disease or yeah and like you know in a relationship out of a relationship like there's lots more sort of fear of the unknown outside of a relationship and sort of you know how do you find the person like how do you get to the point where you maybe want to have sex with that other person like is it really going to be so kind of dedicated mm. versus in a relationship where you have an available person who might want to have sex with you but then sort of being able to yeah, have the power and agency within a couple mm. or you know whatever form your relationship is but to assert in within sex what you actually want mm. and how do you even know what you want how do you go about tr- kind of encouraging your partner to do what you want mm. <laughs> and whether or, or whether you're so in tune to that person that you're in the relationship with that your idea of sex is just to kind of make sure they're happy like the mm. motivation behind sex is so variable as well <laughs> but it is complicated isn't it but you know we don't we're not really taught about how to kind of unpick all this and think about it and help ourselves in making sure we get the sex that we want in the way that we want it mm-hmm. and you know that's why i think all of that is incredibly important and a way or a place where maybe this could be explored might be to attach it on to a place that's already set up to at least talking about sex in a non-judgmental way is not afraid of the physical appearance of genitals mm. <laughs> and um you know can can address some of those other things that are inherent with sex which would be like currently infections and pregnancy and fertility thank you so much this has <laughs> really opened my mind to what kind of sexual health services we could have and how the ways that it's already um good in this country at least um but just the ways that it could be so much better here and in the universe at large really thank you let's get there thank you very much thanks for having me thanks for listening to this episode let me know what you think of free sex the idea or the podcast leave me a review and a star rating if you can on social media i'm at adam smith yes that's smith but with a z or a z yeah smith Mm. (laughs) it feels good in the mouth You can find more Aunt Nell productions on our website, auntnell.com. And on social, we're at auntnell underscore. The theme music is Trans Life by Othon, hosted, produced and edited by Adam Smith. And the executive producer for Aunt Nell is Tash Walker. To all you loves and lovers, good night. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.